Hello and welcome to JPD Weekly. Today we're going to be talking about the Messianic Apocalypse. There's some really cool things in here that uh, show some interesting facts about Bible stories that we've uh, been brought up on, yet we don't fully understand uh, the context of all of these stories. And I, I, I love this stuff. So in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there is a scroll called 4Q521. Uh, and what that means is uh, Q is for Qumran. Four is the number of the cave that they discovered it in. And 521, typically, that's the number of the fragment. Uh, so this is um, the Messianic Apocalypse. That's what it's called. Uh, and there's an interesting paper written on it that I, I wanted to talk about and go through because it, it, it gets some things right, but I think there's some things that it gets wrong too. So we've been talking about this on JPD uh, the past few weeks or so, um, how the the Essenes, they're, they're the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we can see a lot of parallels with the ancient Essenes and Christianity today. We can learn a lot from things that uh, they had to deal with. For example, sometimes uh, the Essenes get a bad name because there were uh, different factions of Essenes. There were Gnostic Essenes in Egypt, which would be uh, comparable to our New Age Christians today. So there are people who are definitely involved in New Age, but they they call themselves Christian. Uh, and in, in case this is one of your first time, maybe it's your first time here and you're not familiar with me or my work, I was one of those. I came out of New Age. Um, I was brought up a Christian and I got into New Age. And I, I really thought at the time, because I was young and I wasn't really thinking and I was just kind of being rebellious, but uh, I, I really thought that all this New Age stuff was just an extension of Christianity, that it could be incorporated into Christianity. So I fell under that delusion. And it is a delusion. It's a total deception. There's no truth in it. Uh, but Gnosticism ha was like that for the for some of the Essenes too. And it's not just Essenes. Just like you can have New Age Buddhists, you can have New Age Catholics, you know, New Age Protestants, uh, New Age Christians. Just like that, they're, they're, Gnostics were all over uh, the the ancient world a couple thousand years ago. That was basically what what that that was like their New Age. New Age today branched off from Gnosticism. So there's a lot of parallels there. So there were people just like that calling themselves Essenes. They would identify as Essenes but they were totally Gnostic, and their writings were Gnostic. It was obvious that they were Gnostic, just like there are Christians today who call themselves Christian, but when you read their books, you find out that they are totally into New Age. So uh, they dealt with that. There were also uh, other heretical factions of Essenes uh, besides the Gnostics. There were even some heretical factions of Essenes right there in Israel. There were, uh, and we get this from Josephus, and I believe Hippolytus wrote about this as well, but uh, you have factions of basic, basically what we would call today um, the the uh, extreme Hebrew roots, and I'm not saying that that it's wrong to learn about our our Hebrew roots and our Jewish uh, the, the Jewish roots of Christianity. It's great to learn about all that, but but to go as far as to say that we need to be put back under the law that's that's a problem uh, for several reasons. Well, the ancient Essenes had that as well. It was called the circumcision party, so they had the same thing where there were Essenes that were telling Christians that they had to go back under the law, and it even got to the point where they were being told they had to be um, they had to be uncir or they had to be circumcised and, and things like that so uh, that was that was one of the factions another faction uh, was called the pan Babylonians and basically what that means is everything was pagan so I'm sure you know who uh, our our modern day counterparts to that is you know everybody who and, and look, again, it's not that it's wrong to not celebrate Christmas or, or you know, if, if you don't want to celebrate Christmas, there's there's nothing in the Bible saying that you have to. Where it becomes an issue is when you put that burden on another Christian and tell them that they're not really a Christian if they're celebrating Christmas, you know, that that it's that it's they're they're displeasing God as if you're going to speak for God. Uh, so th th it's more of an attitude thing. So that's a problem. If you in your personal life don't want to celebrate Christmas, you don't have to. Now, I would say you, should, you, you shouldn't you should make that decision and like sacrifice your marriage over it or something, um, because that, that would be ridiculous. But at the same time, uh, it, it's like if, if, okay, so for example, I try to stay away from pork. Uh, I, I, I don't keep like total kosher, but, but just kind of for health reasons, I, I tend to stay away from uh, uh, pork. Um, and I have for a long time. Now, if I, if I eat 
if if something come if so, if I order something at a restaurant and I don't know that bacon's in it and they bring it and there's bacon in it, I'll eat it and it's it's fine. It doesn't if it, if it's just a little bit, it doesn't mess with me. If it's a lot, it'll mess with my stomach. Um, but uh, but again, I don't look at somebody who is a Christian and eats pork as if like they're less of a Christian or like they're in sin or something like that. Because I understand how I understand how they see it, and I actually think they're right in how they see it, and, and how they uh, weigh law versus grace, and and you know how in some areas it's both, but some areas it's either or. So there, were, the Essenes had this problem as well, the Pan Babylonians, where they wouldn't even carry certain coins because it had a picture on it, and they would say that picture is idolatry, just like how people today will say a Christmas tree is idolatry or, or something like that. So. Uh, so there were a lot of people led astray based on that to where it became like a religion in its own. And these people still called themselves Essenes, but they were also causing a lot of uh, lo- a lot of trouble, a lot of dissension. And then there was a third group, which was basically our sacred namers. You know how, like, if you don't say the name, uh, you know, y- Yahuwah or Yahweh or, or Jehovah or Yeshua, or if you, if you don't pronounce his, his name exactly correctly, then that means that he doesn't hear you or you're not really saved. Some go as far as to say that, which that that is not true. You know, that's ridiculous. Uh, if you want to call him Yeshua, go ahead. Again, all of these things, there, there's nothing wrong with actually doing these things. Like now, you know, the, the, the issue is it's, it's not wrong to call Jesus Yeshua. If you want to call him Yeshua, go right ahead. He, he knows who you're talking to. So it's not a problem. The problem is when it's being treated as like a, a salvational thing or, or even, a. a uh, it, it determines your standing with God kind of thing. You know, that that's where it becomes an issue. Um, so the Essenes had factions like that. And because of that, there are uh, people today who kind of treat the Essenes as just one thing. Like the, the Essenes as if like all of them were this one thing. But there were a lot of groups calling themselves that. Just like you can't really throw Christianity in a box. Now, you can if you're just talking about true doctrine of Christianity, like the, what, what Christian theology should be based on the scripture. Then you can say, if you start with scripture, then you can say, well, okay, a Christian is A, B, C, or D. Uh, a Christian are these things because this is what their holy scriptures say a Christian is supposed to be. So if you're following Christ, you're supposed to be loving your, your brother. Um, you're not supposed to be hating each other and dividing over minor issues like if somebody eats bacon or not, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so, in the same way, we can tell what a true Essene should have been based on their writings. And we get that from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is uh, the whole Old Testament except for the Book of Esther for some reason. It doesn't mean they didn't have it. It just means that we didn't find any fragments of it. So they could have taken it with them or, or the fragments might have uh, all been ruined. You know, we don't know. Uh, but there's the whole Old Testament except for Esther and there's a bunch of uh, extra biblical writings. There's a bunch of writings that they had in there that talk about how they interpret Scripture. So based on that, we can read those writings um, and we can get a sense of their theology. And when we do that, we actually find out that the, the true Essene theology that's actually Essene and not some of this weird offshoot stuff, because there's a lot of Gnostic writings too. Uh, but when, when we actually look at the, the real Essene theology, we find out, surprisingly, that it's very, very, very much in common, basically identical to Christianity. And it goes as far as to show that when Jesus came, because they were expecting this Messiah, uh, when Jesus came, they accepted the Messiah. They accepted Jesus as Messiah. They became Christians, and they went out and preached the gospel. So we actually uh, come from the Essenes. Like the Essenes are, are the true Essenes are like our heritage. So that's amazing to think about. So I, I've been I've been wanting to focus on some of these scrolls uh, throughout these Bible studies because it helps us understand the Bible a little bit more. It doesn't change anything. The Bible still has the same interpretation, but we get a little bit more uh, context out of it, and I think that's important. Also, at the same time, we don't hold the uh, and I, I don't want people to make this mistake. We don't hold any extra biblical books to the same uh, standard of scripture. So I, I would not say that these 
texts uh, that were found in Qumran, um, except for the Old Testament, but the extra biblical stuff. I would not say that that was like inspired. It wasn't preserved word of God because there's a lot of fragments. So clearly it wasn't like preserved. Um, And even the things that we do have, uh, we have to be careful because some of the Essenes writings we found actually in other Bibles. Like you can find the book of Enoch, which the Essenes had. You can find that in like the Ethiopian Bible. Um, but uh, so we have to be careful that that throughout time things haven't been added. Because even in the book of Enoch, uh, there are places in there where it looks like there might have been some Gnostic stuff added. So that can happen. We have to be careful. Um, and so it, it's not preserved in the same way as the Bible is. The Bible, we can know that, that we can trust it. The Dead Sea Scrolls and some of this extra biblical stuff, we have to take it on case-by-case basis, really examine it, and see what parts are okay, what parts may have been tam- tampered with or messed with. Uh, and also, we have to realize that this stuff is fragmented, so we're not getting the full story. Okay, so with all of that with all of that uh, said, I wanted to get into a little bit of... 4Q521 or the Messianic Apocalypse, because this shows us some really interesting things about John the Baptist and about uh, Jesus and prophecies of Jesus that the Essene had. And Jesus, it seems, actually quoted an Essene document, actually quoted the Messianic Apocalypse, which is not included in our Bible, obviously. But there are times in the Bible where extra-biblical books are quoted, such as, you know, Jude, it seems like, um, quotes Enoch. And so that that's always interesting. So when that happens, uh, especially if it's from Jesus himself, but when that happens, you know, it, it, it stands to reason we should pay attention to it and at least look at it and see what it has to say. So we're going to do that. I will put it on screen share. Now, again, this is from an article uh, from UNC Charlotte, and uh, you can get this from pages.uncc.edu. And this is uh, the Signs of the Messiah for Q521 from Archaeology and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, I will say there are some things in here that I don't necessarily agree with, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about those. But there are some things that uh, I think are worth reading and and getting into. There's some things that... um, that we can learn. So uh, we'll, we'll go through some of this, but it says one of the more intriguing of the newly released Dead Sea Scrolls is a fragment now titled Messianic Apocalypse 4Q521. This text contains three rather striking feature, features that are of particular significance for comparing the apocalyptic beliefs and expectations of the Qumran community with the emerging early Christian movement. First, the text speaks of a single messiah, or messiah excuse me, figure who will uh, rule heaven and earth. Second, and message, it mentions in the clearest language the expectation of the resurrection of the dead during the time of this Messiah. And third, and perhaps most important for students of the New Testament, it contains an exact verbal parallel with the Gospels of Matthew and Luke for identifying signs of the Messiah. And that's the thing that I really wanted to focus on, that third one. So here's a translation of the fragment itself. Um, it's, and this is translated from Michael O. Wise. Also, if you're interested in Dead Sea Scroll stuff, look up the work of Dr. Ken Johnson. He's got a ton of translations, and if you support his ministry, uh, you can get some PDFs of some of this stuff, which is really great. Uh, but let's let's read this. It says, The heavens and the earth will listen to his Messiah, and none therein will stray from the command uh, commandments of the Holy Ones. Seekers of the Lord, strengthen yourself in his service. All you hopeful in your heart, will you not find the Lord in this? For the Lord will consider the pious, Hasidim, and pious here uh, just means like dedicated. You know, we, we think of pious typically as like ritualistic or, or almost, almost kind of like, like full of yourself, you know, almost. It, it's not necessarily that. In, in this context, it means more like just dedicated. So for the Lord will consider like the dedicated, the pious, and call the righteous by name. Over the poor, his spirit will hover and renew the faithful with his power, and he will glorify the pious on the throne of the eternal kingdom. He who liberates the captives, restores sight to the blind, straightens the bent, and forever I will cleave to the hopeful and in his mercy where these dots are here. This is where we have fragments missing. So something and the fruit something uh, will not be delayed for anyone. Uh, And the Lord will accomplish glorious things which have never been as 
uh, he something, and then here's what we want to pay attention to. For he will heal the wounded and revive the dead and bring good news to the poor. And he will lead the uprooted and knowledge something and smoke, question mark. All right, so pay attention to this list here. For he will heal the wounded, revive the dead, and bring good news to the poor. All, all three of these things. Because we're actually going to see this quoted by Jesus himself uh, in the New Testament. And, and keep in mind, what we just read came from a Dead Sea Scroll that was not included in the Bible. This is a scene writing. This is uh, a scene theology. So um, I want to skip down a little bit down to here. Line 11 of this text also contains the highly striking feature. Uh, it appears to be the closest and most direct linguistic parallel of the New Testament that we have yet discovered. The line reads, For he will heal the wounded, resurrect the dead, proclaim glad tidings to the poor. In both Matthew and Luke, we read of a deputation that John the Baptist sends to Jesus while John is imprisoned. John's disciples ask Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Uh, now, there's something interesting about that phrasing, too, because the Pharisees taught that the Messiah would be, um, there would be kind of two Messiahs. So there would be one that would come as like a warrior, and there would there would be another one, and he would win a war, and then, then you know, maybe die, maybe not, but either way, he would like hand over rule to the Pharisees uh, after winning this war, and then later there would be like a second Messiah figure. So when he asked, do we look for another it's not like I don't think it's saying like are are you are you the Messiah or is some other guy the Messiah? I think what he's asking for is are you the coming one? Are are you the one that we're that we're supposed to be waiting for? Or do we look for another? Like is there a second one that that's the one that we need to be looking for? Like is are basically are the Pharisees right or are the Essenes right? Because the Essenes taught, and you can read it in their scrolls, that there would be one Messiah with two comings. And that that Messiah would be God incarnate and would die for our sins. See, we're always taught that nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew what God was up to here. But the Essenes did. And What's even more amazing is not only did the Pharisees and uh, you know most of Israel uh, and, and the religious leadership, they didn't believe the Essenes. Even more than that, it seems like Satan himself didn't believe the Essenes. Because you know we read in scriptures that had Satan known, if Satan really knew what uh, Jesus was up to, what God was up to, he never would have crucified Jesus. So apparently... Satan has an arrogance problem, go figure, you know, he's got a pride problem. And, we, you know, we tend to think that just because information is available, it means that Satan must know it too. So nobody could have known. Well, Satan believes things and Satan doesn't believe things, you know, like us. So the information was available, Satan just didn't believe it, you know, because he, he probably looked at the, the Essenes as these dirty desert dwellers and, and just didn't pay them any attention, just like the Pharisees did. You know, the, the, Satan probably probably didn't think that the Essenes were really, you know, led by God or, or well, those, those are God's people, so don't listen to them. Uh, because the Essenes even claimed that they were led by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the prophecy about being the one uh, who, who's calling in the, in the wilderness, at preparing the way for Messiah. They actually went out to Qumran specifically for that purpose. So John the Baptist, he was according, and I believe this was from Hippolytus, but uh, he was in a scene and he was the, the leader of the school of the prophets. John the Baptist was. So that's absolutely amazing. Okay, so continuing on here, it says... Uh, we get, we get this list here, for he will heal the wounded, resurrect the dead, proclaim glad tidings to the poor. So John the Baptist, he's in jail, and he's having a little bit of doubt. He's losing some hope, maybe, and he's just wanting to know if he was right. You know, was he right? Are the Essenes right? Is, is this the Messiah, or do we look for another? Um, is there a second one that's going to come? And so what does Jesus say to do? Uh, Jesus says, go and report to John... Right here, we're right down here. This is uh, Luke 7, 22, 23, and uh, Matthew 11, 4, 5. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. So isn't that amazing? Because we get that same list uh, here, too. That the, 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 the lame walk, the blind receive sight, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. And look, the second part here in bold. The dead are raised up. 
the poor have the glad tiding preached to them. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So take it from here. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. So he's healing the wounded, right? Blind receive sight, lame walk. So all this from here to here is he's healing the wounded. And then what? The dead are raised up. Resurrect the dead. The poor have glad tiding preached to them and proclaim glad tiding to the poor. It's a direct quote of an Essene scroll. So that this is Jesus' way of telling John, look, you're right. The Essenes are right. You guys are right about me. Don't worry. The Pharisees aren't right. They're, they're wrong in their interpretation. Because, you know, while, while John was in jail, he might have had some doubt. But at the same time, if Jesus, I believe that he had so much faith, you know, faith and doubt. These are two different aspects of uh, that we're looking at. But I believe that he had so much faith. If Jesus would have said, you know what, the Pharisees were right. Yes, you are to look for another. There's going to be a second one. I'm just the first one. Then John would have believed that, you know, because he was he was. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He was totally dedicated to Jesus uh, and, and had faith in him. But again, he's in jail, so he's, he's starting to doubt which interpretation is right. It's not that he's doubting Jesus. He's starting to doubt like himself. He's starting to doubt his own interpretation, his own in, a scene interpretation. Uh, maybe that's wrong. You know, maybe we had it wrong. Could the Pharisees be right? But Jesus is telling him, no, you, you were right, John, uh, because look, I, I, the, your a scene writings are absolutely correct. I've done these things. So that's why Jesus says, go and tell John these things. Quote this to him, and he'll he'll know he was right. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so again, there are things in here in this article that are interesting because, you know, in this article they say that the that Jesus and the teacher of righteousness, you know, are two different things. Um in the in the scrolls, it it's pretty obvious that the teacher of righteousness is the Messiah that they were waiting for. Turned out to be Jesus, because there, it's it's typical in like scholarship nowadays to say that the teacher of righteousness was the leader of the Qumran community when it first started. But there are scrolls that they have talking about the teacher of righteousness, talking about uh, his death and talking about 32 AD, you know, which, which we also get from Daniel. So it, what it would mean is if that were true, if both these things were true, it would mean that their leader in Qumran uh, lived to be something like 150 or 180 years old uh, and then was also crucified and also died in a, in a similar way. Um, it's just, it's odd. It doesn't make sense. What makes sense is the things that they talk about in, uh, about the teacher of righteousness, that their prophecy, but we have to remember too, that these are the same scholars that, uh, say that Daniel, the book of Daniel was written way late, like 70 AD, that it was written to, uh, comfort the Jewish people about the temple being, uh, uh, ruined and destroyed. Uh, they won't give Daniel an early date because it's so accurate. So that's, that's about how far you can throw a modern scholarship. But I will say, Dr. Ken Johnson, I, I do trust him. I do think that that's one that we can, uh, we, we can look to and rely on. So isn't that, isn't that interesting, though, that we have that much information uh, about this strange group called the Essenes, and it's so similar to Christianity? Uh, and, and it really helps fill in some of the blanks. Again, it doesn't change anything. It, it doesn't change our theology, but it gives us some added context that we didn't have before, and it helps us understand a little clearer uh, what was going on. And I think it kind of helps us as, as Christians understand our role, especially when we uh, take into account things like the ages, like the age of grace that we live in now, the age of Torah that they lived in back then, uh, the age of chaos before that. And if you're, if you're interested in that, uh, last week's episode, we dealt with all of that. So there was something else, though, that they talked about. Uh, they talked about an apostasy that was coming, an apostasy they saw in, in their day, an apostasy we are seeing in our day now. And it's not just about wrong theology. There's a lot more to it. And when I tell you, you're going to understand and you're going to say, wow, we are deep in the end times because this apostasy is running rampant. It is more than just bad theology. It's a whole attitude. And they dealt with this 
in the end of the last age too, the end of uh, the Essenes, they, they dealt with this uh, back then as well. So we're going to talk about that. But in order to do that, you're going to have to go to dailyrenegade.com and pick up a membership. Please pick up a membership today because it helps us and you get a membership. You, you get to watch the rest of this PEC report. You get to watch the rest of everything that we have available. Uh, we're making a few changes on the website, so please bear with us as we're moving some things around. We're updating the website. Uh, we're trying to make this uh, uh, really good for you guys and so um but we have other shows we have a show with gary wayne if you're familiar with the genesis 6 conspiracy he has a show called the christian contrarian you get full episodes of that you get uh brian melvin you get detox babylon with michael stibbs uh which is more of like a documentary series plus like a podcast uh kind of thing so uh there's a lot of stuff all revolving around good bible study uh prophecy lots of great stuff that you and your family can enjoy so don't don't waste your money with netflix or any of these streaming services come over to daily renegade and we'll take care of you and also you get to be part of the daily renegade community we really do are like a a family here uh and the good thing about the paywall is that there are no trolls you know nobody is gonna pay 10 bucks a month or 100 dollars a year by the way you should get the 100 dollars a year because you get two months for free if you do that but nobody is gonna pay their own money to go and troll people so what I what I really love about the community over at Daily Renegade, there's no trolls, uh, and we have good conversations. We all love and respect each other. It's really how a family should be. Uh, and so um, go head on over there, dailyrenegade.com, and get a membership. So everybody viewing for free on YouTube, thank you so much. Members, hang on the line. Everyone else, take care. God bless. All right. Uh, members only. Thank you so much for being a member. Also, let me know what you think of this setup. Right now, I'm using I'm using a couple of different cameras, um, and this probably isn't going to be the exact setup that we have. But I'm using a, a Canon 80D because I think that that's better than the webcams. And then I'm also using a, a webcam, and then I have you know the, the screenshots. Um, so I, I'm trying to figure out how to give you guys the best quality. Um, and also where I can do these every week and and uh, also be able to tend to my other duties as well because I have a lot of them. So let me know what you think. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, so let's get into the apostasy because this is something that is important. We need to know what's going on. Um, the apostasy that Paul talked about, uh, that the New Testament warns us about, when you read what the apostasy is in the Bible – a lot of times we tend to think that it's just a falling away from faith. It is that, but it's so much more than that too. Because we read in the we read in the Bible about stay away from revilers, you know, people that are verbally abusive even. Stay away from drunkards, stay away uh from uh people who practice uh, sexual sins and and things like that. We we read about all these things because that's how it's going to be in the last times. Well, the reason they knew that is because they had this understanding of ages. And of course, they knew about ages. They knew about all this through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to diminish that. But they also haven't had an understanding of ages. And at the end of every age, this kind of stuff happened. There was an apostasy kind of thing. So at the end of the previous age, the age of Torah, uh, there was an apostasy. And it's not just bad theology. Again, it is bad theology, but it's not just bad theology. It, it's, it's an attitude. It's a hatred that comes in. It's a hatred that infects people and causes people to, to, to hate somebody just because they believe something different, right? Um, so at the end of the last age, you had Pharisees and Sadducees uh, killing Christians. I mean, they, they were sla- they were slaughtering followers of Christ. Um, but you also had, again, we talked about the Essene factions. You had these Essene factions. You you had people that would break off from the Essenes, yet still call themselves Essenes. But they would say that the true Essenes weren't actually Essenes. They weren't really true. They weren't real followers of the Messiah because they would carry coins sometimes. Uh, or they would call a king lord sometimes. Uh, you, you know, or or uh, they they... They taught that when Messiah comes, there's going to be an age of grace and the age of Torah is going to be done away with. It's going to be fulfilled. So they looked at all of that stuff, um, these factions, and they actually got to a point where they were hating the true Essenes. Some of them became total Gnostic New Agers. uh, Some went in other directions. But... But a lot of what it was was it, it's the apostasy is more of a, a, a hatred. It's it's more of an attitude. It's more of a, 
uh, you know, pride, really. Uh, it's, it's more of a, you know, I'm, I'm better than you because you believe this stupid thing that I don't believe in, and I'm right. So, for example, how many times have you heard somebody who doesn't believe in the rapture or specifically doesn't believe in a pre-trib rapture, how many times have you heard people like that uh, treat pre-trib rapture believers as if they're just stupid hicks, right? And I know people are going to say, well, yeah, but pre-tribbers sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll act like that too. Yeah, I know. I get it. You know, everybody acts like that and they shouldn't. It's a pride problem. But when you, when, when a movement or when a, when a particular belief is known, uh, just generally kind of known for doing that kind of thing, that that's like the fruit of that belief. That's actually why I, um, I never really got into flat earth stuff. It wasn't because of the scientific evidence or it wasn't, it wasn't even really that what, what turned me off to it. What, what convinced me that there's no truth in this is when I saw the attitude, when, when I saw the attitude from flat earth believers and then when they were called out on it, they would say, well, yeah, but we get mocked all the time. Oh, okay. So it's okay for you to do it. If someone's doing it to you, see, that's not biblical. It doesn't matter if someone's being mean to you and being hateful to you. You don't get to be hateful to them. People are hateful to me all the time. I don't get to be hateful to them because God is going to judge them. You know, what What I get to do is I get to, I get to if, they're, if they're sinning against God in a way that, that Paul wrote about and said, you know, stay away from these people, I get to break fellowship and break contact. contact. And then I get to pray for them with all my heart and pray that they come back uh, to, to the saving grace of, of Jesus. That's what I get to do. I get, I get to have love for them still. I don't, I don't get to hate them. So when I see these excuses, you know, like, like, you know, well, you, you sometimes post-tribbers kind of treat pre-tribbers kind of nasty. Well, you, you know, but they're mean to us too. I don't care. Are we five years old? You know, I mean, this is like what I tell my kids. Like, I, I don't care who started it. It doesn't matter who started it because the world is going to be full of started it's, <laughs> you know, the world's full of that. It doesn't give you an excuse. The rules don't change just because somebody else is breaking the rules. We don't get to break the rules just because somebody else is. If anything, it's more reason for us to be Christ-like. So, you know, we, we need to keep that in mind. But um, the Essenes had had this kind of issue, too, and that, that's what the apostasy is. You know, according to the Essenes, and I believe they're right because they predicted everything in the end of their age, and it all turned out to be true. Uh, according to the Essenes, the the apostasy was more about an attitude. It was more about a self righteousness, a pride, and and this pride gets so bad that it causes people to believe that they can end the life of another just because of a difference in belief. Now we may not be there completely in this country yet. Uh, we may not be there just yet uh, when it comes to Christians against Christians, but you should read a book called Blood on the Altar because this kind of thing is prophesied about and it is it is going to happen. There are going to be people calling themselves Christians that will willingly go out and kill other Christians because of a difference in belief, because of some perceived heresy or something. That That is coming. Uh, now, I am a pre-trib rapture believer, so I believe that before the apostasy, you know, really hits, I, I believe a lot of that's going to happen in the tribulation, but that doesn't mean that we get to escape from it because it's starting now. We are seeing this now, and I know that we can't change everybody's mind, but the main reason that I'm telling you this is because I believe we can protect our community, you know, our daily renegade family here and anybody that will listen to us. I believe we can we can protect each other and look out for each other. And so that's why I'm telling you this and anybody online that will listen, because, again, um, we're not going to change everybody else's mind, but we can at least protect our own. I mean, it's the same thing that the Essenes did. They knew that they weren't going to be able to change everybody's mind, but it didn't matter. They still stayed faithful to Christ. They still proclaimed the truth, and they tried to keep as many in the faith as they could, but they also had no problem um, excommunicating somebody or breaking fellowship off with somebody uh, who was one of these revilers or, or one of these people who's uh, caught in these 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 sins that can seriously damage uh, the church. And so, you know, we 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 do need to get comfortable with breaking contact off. But again, we need to do that with prayer. We need to love the person enough to send them out and and then pray for them. Pray that they repent, and then if they do repent, bring them back in. 
You know, that, that's totally fine because we do need to forgive too if, if, if they repent. If they don't repent, if they don't change, then okay, well, then they've made their choice and we need to go on with the Lord's business. Uh, they can be a part of that if they want. So we always leave the door open for repentance um, and, and for them to be forgiven. But if they don't repent, uh, then what, what can we do? You know, we can't damage the church. We can't damage our, our community, our Christian community, just for the sake of somebody's feelings who's living in sin or who's being sinful or who's falling into this apostate mind that they're better than everybody else. So we need to stay away from that. I wanted to bring up this study and then we'll conclude kind of showing what I'm talking about. This is from, uh, ArizonaChristian.edu, and it's it's a release about American Christianity. I believe this is a Barna study, yeah, uh, a survey. And I, I wanted to talk about some of this. Um, it says American Christianity is undergoing a post-Christian reformation. You know, post-Christian reformation, we can replace that with apostasy. Uh, American Christianity is undergoing an apostasy uh, with the nation's major Christian groups rapidly replacing traditional theological beliefs with the culture's secular values. A new study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona uh, Christian University finds that the nation's four main Christian groups, evangelicals, Pentecostals, and Charismatics, mainline Protestants, and Catholics are creating new worldviews that are only loosely tied to biblical teachings and have traditionally uh, that have traditionally defined them. This is what happens at the end of every age. This is what happened at the end of the age of Torah. Certainly happened at the age uh, at the end of the last age. The end of the age of chaos ended with the call of Abraham, and it was it was uh, like the end of that age was the whole Tower of Babel incident. Uh, that was the end of that age. Um, so we see the same things repeated over and over. And even the, the the final the final final age the millennial kingdom, even at the end of that age when Satan is let loose uh, for a little while he's able to whip up the nations again for another war. So there's even an apostasy at the end of that age. So it doesn't end until there's a new heavens and new earth. Um, but we're seeing this now. It says. The American Worldview Inventory 2020, conducted by CR Director, CRC Director of Research George Barna, surveyed 51 beliefs and behaviors among Christian groups and found that rather than transforming the culture around them with biblical truth, which we should be doing, the opposite is happening. American Christianity is rapidly conforming to the values of the post-Christian secular culture. Oh, horrifying. I mean, it's, it's apostate. We're, we're falling into the apostasy. Uh, key findings of this survey includes uh, evangelicals are embracing secularism. A majority, 52% of evangelicals, half, over half, reject absolute moral truth. 61% do not read the Bible on a daily basis. 75% believe that people are basically good. Can you believe that? 75% of evangelicals believe that people are basically good. That is the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. It doesn't mean that we hate people. We don't want to hate people, but we need to understand people are basically bad, and that's why we need a Savior. You know, you, me, uh, we're all basically evil to our core. That's why we need a Savior. And then the transformation of the Holy Spirit can flip that around, uh, and we can learn to be more Christ-like and love each other and be a light to this world. But we can't be that if we think that the light's already here, if we think that people are just basically good. 75%, three out of four people believe, uh, out of evangelicals. That, that is astounding. The study found that one-third to one-half of evangelicals in the survey embrace a variety of beliefs and behaviors counter to biblical teaching and long-standing evangelical beliefs. Pentecostals and Charismatics take secularism a step further. Two-thirds, 69%, two-thirds reject absolute moral truth. 54% are unwilling to define human life as sacred. Wow, over half unwilling to define human life as sacred, with half claiming that the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. Can you believe that? I mean, it's straight up, it, murder is wrong. I mean, it's one of the commandments. It's not, there's nothing ambiguous about it. And 69% say that they prefer socialism to capitalism. A full 45% did not qualify as born-again Christians. Now, I'll say with the socialism versus capitalism thing, 
I know these are economic structures and Jesus didn't come to give us an economic structure, but when you look at what each one supports, you have big government controlling everybody and not thinking that human life is sacred. That's socialism, whereas capitalism is pretty much equal for everybody. And I know that there are definitions of, of capitalism that, you know, people want to say, yeah, but there's a top 1%. It's that is a law of nature. It's called, if you want to look it up, it's called Price's Law. Uh, there's a top 1% of everything. You can find that in the brightness of stars and tree length. Um, the, the, the color people choose to paint their houses. You, know, you, you find it in literally everything. It's, it's, just a, it's kind of like a law of nature. You're going to find that in like the top richest people in the world too. But the thing is the top 1% keeps changing. You know, There's people swapped in and swapped out all the time. So that and anybody on the bottom uh, can can raise up to to be in the top, and so now that gets more into an economic argument. But if if these are the two that you have to choose from, because um, there's no perfect economic uh, system, if these are the two that you have to choose from, socialism is infinite. I mean, just infinitely more evil than capitalism. Capitalism may have its problems. You know, it's not a perfect system because, again, we live in a broken, fallen world where we're not going to be able to develop a perfect system uh, because people are just, again, evil and corrupt. People, to their core, are, are evil. Without, without Jesus, everybody's bad. Um, and so because of that, you get things like crony capitalism and you get perversions of, of these systems that we try to put in place that are, are pretty good. Uh, so that happens. But... Again, 69% say they prefer socialism. They, they think that socialism, based on those two, that socialism is the more benevolent option. So it's not about is capitalism evil. It's, it's about is capitalism more evil than socialism. And 69% say that socialism is less evil than capitalism. That is mind-blowing to me. This is how far we've gotten. And a full 45% did not qualify as born-again Christians. There are almost half of Pentecostals and Charismatics that do not qualify as, that, that as born-again Christians. Amazing. Mainline Protestants uh, are the most secular of the four faith families. 60% of mainline Protestants believes uh, directly conflict with biblical teaching. Three key values define this group. Truth and morality are relative. Life has no inherent value or purpose, so individuals should pursue personal happiness or satisfaction, and traditional religious practices are no longer seen as central or essential to the Christian faith. Only 41% of mainline Protestants are born again. Th this is just... I, I, there's just no words for it. This is how how fast... This apostasy is is getting bad. We we are we according to the Essenes in five years, actually less than that, in a little more than four years, uh, in uh, 2025, we will be entering the final jubilee, the final 50 years of our age, and it's usually in those final jubilees that you get a lot of prophetic stuff uh, happening, and we we are headed right there. Catholics are increasingly secular and permissive. Catholics' beliefs are surprisingly similar to those of mainline Protestants, but considerably different from that of evangelical and charismatic Protestants. They are most likely to believe in salvation through works or living a good life, and least likely, only 28%, to be born again. Today's Catholics are more permissive rather uh, than other groups, being more likely to accept sexual relations outside of marriage, lying, speeding, and refusal to repay a loan as morally acceptable behaviors. So if you want the full results of this uh, AWVI 2020 report number 11, it is called Christian Faith and Worldview. It says found below. So uh, th this is the, the full results down here. Um, yeah, some of these 43% maintain that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. What is, what is this? Hang on. What is... Evangelicals embracing secularism. The centrality of obedience to the scripture is absent among most of the nation's adults associated with evangelical churches. Evangelicals are believing this stuff. A majority, 53%, now deems uh, practices other than consistent obedience to God to reflect the heart of success in life. 
While some of the ideas gaining traction in evangelical congregations may not reflect a majority perspective, the fact that one-third to one-half of those adults embrace these ideas can only be viewed as alarming. So this is evangelicals. Let's look through some of this list. 48% believe a person who is good enough or does enough good works can earn eternal salvation. Evangelicals, 48%, almost half of evangelicals. 44% do not believe that history is the unfolding narrative of God's reality. 44% claim the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. 43% maintain that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. 43% of evangelicals believe that Jesus sinned on earth. How... I, I remember it was only two or three years ago I was looking at, at these statistics, and I think I did a peck report on it or something. I did a video on it, and it, it was alarming, but it wasn't this bad. I mean, it has gone, it has gotten really bad really fast. 43% do not believe there is a common God-given purpose to humanity to know, love, and serve him. 42% seek moral guidance primarily from sources other than the Bible. 42% do not identify and confess their sins on a daily basis. Um, 40% do not believe that human life is sacred. This identify and confess their sins on a daily basis, I don't know what they mean by that. I, it, now, if they mean just in private prayer, uh, then, yeah, we need to be talking with God all the time about, like, our sins and, and, you know, asking him to work with us. If they're talking about, like, going to confession, like, in a Catholic sense, um, I, I don't do that. Uh, I just I just take it directly to God. So I, I don't – this one I don't know. I, I don't know what, what they, they mean by that. Um, 40% don't, do not believe that human life is sacred. 40% accept lying is morally acceptable if it advances personal interest or protects one's reputation. 39% identify the people they always respect as being only those who have the same beliefs as they possess. 36%, this is in evangelicals again, prefer socialism to capitalism. 36% fail to seek and pursue God's will for their life each day. 34% reject the idea of legitimate marriage as one man and one woman. One third of even a little over one third of evangelicals reject the idea. Not, not even they entertain the possibility of others. They reject the idea of legitimate marriage as one man and one woman. 34% argue that abortion is morally acceptable if it spares the mother from financial or emotional discomfort or hardship. You have got to be kidding me. 32% do not thank or worship God each day. One third. Man. And, and they have lists like this on, on each of the groups that they talked about. Um, so up, up here, here's the chart. People are not basically good. We are sinners. Now, this is the percentage of people who reject this teaching. 75% of evangelicals, 76% of Pentecostals, 81% of mainline Protestants, 84% of Catholics. The vast majority of people believe that, the vast majority of people calling themselves Christian believe that people are, or believe that people are basically good and that we're not sinners. Oh my gosh. Look at this one. Which faith you embrace matters as much as much or more than simply having some faith. This is this is the percentage of those who reject this idea. Which obviously which faith you embrace matters more than simply having faith. You know, you could have faith in Allah and that that faith is is worthless. Uh it's not going to get you anywhere uh with God. This is how many people don't believe that. 62% of evangelicals, 71% of Pentecostals, 76% of mainline Protestants, uh, 84% of Catholics. These percentages are, look at this. The Holy Spirit is not just a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity, but is a real influential being. This is how many Christians reject that idea. 58% of evangelicals, over half, 66% of Pentecostals, 73% of Protestants, 74% of Catholics believe that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power. It's not a real and influential being. How did we get this, this far gone? Success is consistent obedience to God. True, true success, and, and more than half of each 
disagree with that. Reject it. All right. So this is this is clearly just absolutely horrifying. And there, there's a lot more that you can um, and you should read in that in that list. But it shows how fast this apostasy is spreading. We are a remnant. Me, you who are listening, we, we are a remnant. We, we are today like that remnant of believing Essenes when everybody else went crazy. And they even predicted that. They even predicted that in, at the end of their age, it was going to be like everybody's gone crazy. Uh, and we're seeing that in, at the end of our age, too. They predicted it for hours, too. Um, and we're in it. So hold strong to your faith. We need to hold strong to one another. Love one another enough to be honest with each other. I actually just had to do this t- today with, with a brother in the Lord um, on Messenger. Sometimes that happens. So, you know, if somebody is doing something wrong, um, don't be prideful about it. Don't hold yourself up higher than that person. Don't take that attitude. But love that person enough to be honest with them and, and do it in a way where you're, general, you're genuinely wanting them to stay in the faith. And knowing that any little any little thing can lead to really bad things where the where they could end up rejecting Jesus altogether we we are absolutely a, a very small remnant we need to stick together through these through these uh last of the last days so um but there there is encouragement the main encouragement is that we have Jesus on our side Jesus has always been on the side of the believing remnant we see that in all of the ages um and so we know that He's got our back. We just need to stay faithful to him and we need to not not we need to not let the world influence us. Whatever the world is doing and what's going on in the, in the world, what's going on in your local church maybe, if it's bad, if it's ungodly, don't let it influence you. Find another church, find an online fellowship, find find a lot of people are doing home meetings now. You can start your own home meeting. You you know, we're we're at a point now you can you can start your own home meeting easily. And have a few people over from your community and just do just read the Bible together and talk about what you think it means. You know, uh, that that can really help. You, you can download free Bible studies. Just make sure they're good ones. Um, bring them bring them over and uh, watch Daily Renegade stuff. That, that, that's what it's here for. Um, and then talk about it. May, maybe I say something that you that you don't agree with. Okay, well talk about that. Be open and loving about it because the apostasy is not having disagreements. We're going to have disagreements. The apostasy is more about hating somebody because of those disagreements, and that's what we don't want to fall into. So be open, talk, talk, talk about it. I know for a fact I don't have everything absolutely correct. Neither do you. So iron sharpens iron. We have to we have to talk about things and and in a loving way and and say okay, well you know I, I don't agree with Josh here. You know may, maybe maybe you're a post trip guy or a pre wrath guy. You know I'm pre wrath. I don't agree with his pre trib stuff. And you know here's here, here's why. Talk about that in your in your home meetings. That that kind of stuff can really go a long way, and and you know teaching is is more about like it, it's it's living it out. So if you're living out, if if they see you just being honest but being loving, you know you're not being hateful, you're not saying bad things about me as a person, you know you're just saying you disagree with me on a point or whatever it is. If they see that, they're going to live that out too. People are impressionable. You know we're kind of built to be like that because it makes it easier for us to. Uh, be impressionable from Christ. You know, it also makes it easier for us to be impressionable with everybody. But uh, you know, it, it it helps us when we focus that impressionability, when we focus that in the right direction towards Christ. We can more easily uh, kind of achieve that every day. Not that we're going to be like Christ every day. Uh, we're not going to be sinless, not in this life anyway. Uh, but we we can at least get a little bit better every day. We can learn more, more and more and more every day, and we can represent Him as best uh, as possible on this earth while we're here. Uh, so we can continue to learn to do that and hold each other accountable. All right, everybody, uh, I'm going to call it good there. Thank you so much for watching and uh, sticking with us. And please keep me in prayer. Keep everybody at Daily Renegade in prayer, and keep uh, all of you in prayer as well. Let's all keep each other in prayer. It's a good thing to do because, uh, again, this apostasy is strong, and I I don't want to see anybody fall into it. So thank you so much, everybody. Love you all, and until next time, take care and God bless.